Okay, well, let's, uh, let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, we um, want to praise your name and we thank you that we've been able to do that already. We pray that that would continue, Lord, and we pray as your word is spoken and talked about, Lord, um, that you, um, yeah, that your name would be glorified, that your name, uh, so that your name would be known among the nations. We pray, Lord, by your spirit that you would just help us um, see um, just the power and the glory of your steadfast love and faithfulness towards us. So that, Lord, we can be a praising people. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, you can have a seat. Well, so on January 30th, 2011, there's the largest choir, which consisted of 121,440 people. It was organized by the Art of Living in India, and uh, the organization for this massive event used 2,429 stewards, which I learned this week is those who are assisting the choir director by overseeing like sections of the choir. Uh, this choir sang in unison. I also learned what unison actually means. Uh, thank you, Myra. I will just shout out to Myra. Uh, so they're they're so they're singing in unison. Um, so they're singing the exact same thing at the exact same time together for over five minutes. Um, just this massive choir, and so not surprisingly, in, since 2011, the choir that choir has been listed in the Guinness World Records as the largest choir in the world. Now I was thinking of Gen- the Guinness World Records, and I was thinking. What if I preach the longest sermon on the shortest chapter in the Bible? (laughs) Just kidding. I I won't do that. It was just a thought. It was just a thought. But, you know, can you imagine being at hearing this choir? Just like how powerful that would be. How powerful that sound would be with all these people singing together. It's, It's really quite amazing. Like it's, like it's, Astounding when you think of even just how huge that is, right? Like, um, now with, with that in mind, uh, we do come to the smallest psalm, right? Psalm 117. And I think this is one of those ones that we can read over very quickly. Um, maybe it's, it's really easy to read over and to go, yep, cool, sounds good. But I think when we, we slow down, and, and we really look, we begin to really read and see what this psalm is saying. We begin to see that it actually provides a vision of people singing together that's much greater than the largest choir in the world to this day. This psalm calls us to join the global choir. And that's what we're going to dive in and, and learn more about today. Now, a little bit of background on Psalm 17. Uh, really, there's not a whole lot of background, actually. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was trying to find some, but really, we, we don't, it doesn't give a clear sense of who the author is or the setting. Um, yet, it doesn't take away from the, it's kind of, it's bold and clear message. 
We do know, we do though know where and how it was used among God's people in Israel. So Psalm 117 is among uh, a cluster of psalms understood as the Egyptian Halu Psalms. Right, this cluster was actually Psalm 113 to 118. It's a group of songs, and they, they were called Egyptian because of their later connection to the Jewish Passover meal, celebrating how God powerfully delivered his people from their enemies, Egypt, in the book of Exodus. Psalm 114 uh, is most clearly written ab- about this event. Then the halu is uh, Hebrew for praise, which is just a, a major theme throughout a lot of these psalms, right? So basically, almost every one of these psalms, except Psalm 114, at the end will say, praise the Lord. And Psalm, I guess, and yeah, Psalm 118 as well. But there's, the theme of these, these psalms, though, is pray, the praising of the Lord, uh, in fact, hallelujah, which we hear lots in our Christian circles, means praise the Lord. Now, how were those psalms connected to the Jewish Passover meal? So the, the family celebration of Passover, was a, it was a gathering um, in the first century. Or, right, it's still a gathering today, but how it kind of looked in the first century even. It's, it was a simple order and rhythm. And so they had the roasted lamb, unleavened bread, bitter herbs, and four cups of wine. After the fourth cup, which is called the cup of rest, the family would read or sing a psalm or a hymn. And this was usually Psalm 115 to 18. And so it's just kind of helpful to know how these psalms were used, right, as as they're being sung. And, uh, and I want us to keep that in mind as we continue in the text. It'll be helpful for us later as we go in. And so with a little bit of that background, I know it's a small amount of background, but it's helpful. Uh, we're going to move right into the passage. We're going to look at verse 1.1, which is call to praise, the call to praise. So it says, praise the Lord, right? Hallelujah. All nations extol him, all peoples. Now, what is immediately surprising about this verse is who it's directed to all nations, all peoples. Much of the Psalms are directed to the people of Israel, but the focus is different here. And so, how does this work? You know, how, how, does, how does this get broadcasted to the nations? Well, it's, it's not likely that it was actually broadcasted to all the nations. Maybe it refers to those from foreign parts attending a feast. Um, but from my study this week, it, it's, it's better to see this psalm as a psalmist's aspiration for the nations to praise the Lord, right? It's something that they're desiring. And, um, you know, and the question right away is why, why would this verse be concerned for all nations to praise the Lord? And... Um, and the answer is because God's heart is for the nations. God's heart is for the nations. Psalm 117, it, it echoes God's desire for blessing the nations through Abraham and his offspring in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, right? As the calling of Israel was for the sake of the world. Let me read for you just uh, some key passages, and uh, you don't have to flip there, but I'll give, you, I'll give you the reference. I'll read it for you. If you want to write those down, you can. But here's just a few among many Old Testament passages 
that speak about this, this desire for the nations. So Genesis 12, uh, 12 uh, 2 and 3, it says, as he's speaking to Abraham, I will make you, I will, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Exodus nineteen five and six also says so in Exodus nineteen five and six, um, God speaking to the people to Moses and to the people of Israel it says now therefore if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And then finally, here's a, here's a portion of what King Solomon prays at the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings eight forty one to 43. Just an excellent prayer. He says, Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name in your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. And when he comes and prays towards this house, Hear in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, and as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. Right, so these are just a few scriptures concerning God's heart for the nations. We haven't tapped into the other Psalms and Isaiah and many others, but in any case, the calling of the nations to praise the Lord should be no surprise, but a voicing of God's desire. And so what did, and this brings us to kind of our, my, my next sub point here, which then is praising and extolling the Lord. Now, we've, we've, we've saw kind of who this, this Psalm is directed towards, now we're going to look a little bit at kind of what, what does it mean um, to praise and extol the Lord? Well, praise here, it, it just, it means to sing. It means to sing praises to God. Then extol him, it, I found this one kind of interesting in my, my studies this week, is that it, it actually kind of clarifies what kind of praises to sing. As it means to glorify and make exuberant statements as to the excellence of someone. Right? So this speaks to praising God intentionally and thoughtfully with weighty words of his excellence, glory, and greatness. Right? This is why we want to be thoughtful in our, our choice of worship music. Um, so that we can honestly worship God in spirit and in truth. You know, I kind of think of it like this, right? If someone wrote a song about you, and you're like, wow, someone wrote a song about me, that's so nice, and you listen to it, and it has completely wrong information about you, would you be like, oh, that's so touching that they did that for me, I am so appreciate that? No, like, of course not. You'd be like, uh, this song is singing wrong, <laughs> like, I didn't do that, or I didn't say that, right? And, and that's something, you know, I think of that in regard to worship music as we're singing as we do as we're singing and praising the lord of the universe you know 
We want to be approaching praise reverently. We want to be mindful of the words we sing about him. I think the, the Psalms actually provide a lot of help in this area, right? They guide us. I think they really guide us well in praising and extolling the Lord. And let me, let me give you a few examples of this. Even just in the few Psalms before Psalm 117, Psalm 113, um, Psalm 113 verse 4, where he, the psalmist, he's, pray, he's praising the Lord for his greatness. He says, the Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Right? He's speaking of his excellence there. Or then in Psalm 114, 7 to 8, where he's praising him for his power over nations in creation. He says, Tremble, all earth, o, tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns a rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. Or in chapter 15, verses 1 to 4, he's, pray, he's praising him as the one greater than the nation's idols. He says, not to us, O Lord. This is verse 1 to 4. He says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. Or one more example here, and this is uh, in, verse, or in chapter 116, verses uh, 16 to 19, where the psalmist is praising God for his deliverance. It says in verse 16, it says, O oh, oh Lord, I am your servant, I am your servant, the son of your maidservant, you have loosened my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. So from these examples, we, we get a picture of praise for who God is, and the excellence of what he has done on his people's behalf. Right? These psalms can give us words to praise the Lord in our own lives as we see God work. And, and so in verse 1, uh, we already see the call is to join the global choir for, the pra- for praising the Lord thoughtfully, singing and speaking words of praise that reflect God's character and work. Now before we move on to verse 2, I think there... There's something we gotta know, we need to notice about verse one, is that this is a really bold call to praise. When you think about it, this is a really bold call. This is something I, you know, when you're when you're studying a passage, you're wanting to look at what are some of the repeating words. Those are often that's often a really helpful way of maybe getting a better idea of um, what the author is trying to communicate. And um, and this one, you know, it. You know, it was almost too familiar to me that I almost missed it. But the word that's repeated most in this psalm is Lord. <laughs> is Lord, right? And when you see Lord in capitals, maybe maybe some of your translations have it differently. But in the ESV, when it has Lord in capitals, that's speaking to God's personal name, Yahweh. 
But this is, I think this is really important, right? Praise the Lord. Now, why is this such a, a bold call to praise? Well, the psalmist is saying here that there's only one God to praise, to be praised, and that's Yahweh. And we may say, yes, amen. But you know, for those, the cultures around them that day, in their time, in a time where people believed and lived for many gods, the psalmist is making a massive statement here that not any God should be praised, only Yahweh, the God of Israel, right? The great I am, the almighty one. He rises above the rest. He is the one the nations should praise. And so what does this mean for their idols and, and gods that the nations worship? Well, they're to turn from them to the living God and acknowledge him as he should be acknowledged and be praised as he should be praised as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And so for the, because, you know, for the nations then, the supernatural, it, again, right, it was just so central to their lives. And so the move from many gods to one, it just, it changes everything for how they live. And, you know, isn't that true for us today? Right? We give this call out today to a culture that would say one god is too many. Or we, we, give, uh, we give this call out uh, to a culture that says keep that god to yourself. Or you have your God and I have mine, right? All, all roads lead to him anyway. But that's just not the case when we look at this psalm. Praising the Lord is praising him alone. He is the God who told his people, you shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 20, verse 3. And so the Lord and the Lord alone is to be praised. And we are, we are made for him in praising him is living in line with how, we, how he made us to live. And he desires this for the nations. But why, right? Why is Yahweh the one the nations should, should turn from their gods and idols for? And that's what leads us to verse 2, right? Point 2, verse 2, the cause for praising the Lord. The cause for praising the Lord. So verse 2, right? It says, For great is his steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. I'm kind of trying to say it as much as I can so that you walk out of here memorizing it. <laughs> but, uh, right? but such a, such a helpful verse. And, and before we dive more into it, I want to think about some proper motivations for praising the Lord. Right? What, what motivates you to praise God? You know, some may say, I praise the Lord because it's a good thing, right? These are general statements, but, but some may say, I praise the Lord because it's a good thing to do, right? And God might bless me for it. Others may say, I praise the Lord because I feel so guilty for what I did last night. That I want to make sure I'm good with God somehow. Others may say, I praise the Lord out of fear uh, that he'll punish me if I don't. Right? Not a reverent fear, but really a, a terror of God's punishment. You know, and, may, and others may echo what this psalm is saying, right? I praise God because of his steadfast love toward us and his faithfulness endures forever. Like it, like it doesn't run out. And so we, we see even just from these first few statements, right? They're motivated by praising God in a sense to motivate God to act in a certain way. Whether, whether it's to give them what they want, help them feel better about their sin, to escape punishment, 
where the last one is motivated by a bigger vision of who God is. And then praise is a response to God because he is worthy of it. And, you know, when I think of it this way, these proper motivations, I kind of think of it like being at an NHL hockey game. Now, that seems very random, but just hear me out. So last, so last October, uh, Christina got me tickets to go to a Winnipeg Jets game for my 30th birthday. It was an awesome gift. And uh, we got to drive out and attend the game together. It was so fun. And uh, one of the things, and they're playing the Toronto Maple Leafs. So that's a big organization. So it was a full house that night. Like it was, it was packed. And I'm pretty sure there was more Maple Leafs fans than Jets fans. But uh, unfortunately. Um, but one of the things I, I found interesting in this game was, was about 10 minutes before you got the lights going. It's so loud. And you got this one guy who's just like, cheer on your Winnipeg Jets. Let's go Jets, go Jets. And it's so like they're just constantly doing that, right? And all through the game, they're going, all right, let's cheer them on. Let's go. Right. And so they're, they're trying to amp up the crowd to cheer them on. Now, here's the thing. You know, why are they doing this? Well, they're, they're trying to help the team do better, right? They're trying to help the team have success, score the goals, win the game. But here's the thing. They were losing most of the game, right? It was like 4-1. They, they looked terrible. Like, Maple Leafs, unfortunately, were the better team that night. Um, now, what do you think that did for the crowd, what do you think that did for a crowd? So the guy's going, let's go, you know, let's cheer our Jets on. What do you think that did for the crowd? Mm, right? Like the motivation for praise and cheering was just getting lower and lower and more embarrassing as the game went on. Because at the end of the game, the Leaf fans were like cheering way louder. They're basically cheering the Jets fans out of the game. And, um, and it was unfortunate, but it was still so fun because <laughs> I, I didn't really care. I was just happy to be in the game. But, um, but I think it's, it's just interesting, right? There's this, there's this, the motivation for cheering and maybe praise of the Jets was that so that they would have success. And when they weren't having success, that praise dwindled, that cheering dwindled. And you know, how easy can it be for believers to praise God this way? Right? Praising God to motivate Him. And how easy is it to find believers praiseless or cynical when life is hard or things aren't going their way? No, we must have a firmer, bigger view of who God is here. We must. Right? We don't praise to motivate Him. We praise in response of Him in what He's done and who He is. And so, and with that, I want to give us three, three reasons for the nations to praise the Lord from what we just see in the text here. So the first reason is God is faithful to his covenant. God is faithful to his covenant. When we see the word steadfast love and faithfulness, we should be kind of, we should be already thinking and making note that these are covenant. This is covenant language. This is covenant terms, Right. Steadfast love and faithfulness, uh, they were the, the expectation of maintaining a covenant relationship. And, and, I mean, those are just great values to have in any relationship, right? 
that you would be someone who is showing a, a loyal and a steadfast love and you that you would be faithful, you would have integrity in that relationship. Those are just really good things to have in a relationship regardless. But what they show here is that uh, they display how God has always stayed true to his side of the covenant. Specifically, again, we're thinking of Abraham's covenant here, right? That through his offsprings, offspring, all the nations will be blessed. And so for this reason, all the people, all people should praise the Lord because according to his plan, all peoples, all nations will be blessed through his people, Israel. Second reason is great is his steadfast love towards us. Now, the word great here uh, in other uses of the word uh, was often used when someone prevailed over their enemies. Here, great indicates how strong, excuse me, how strong and mighty and prevailing is the steadfast love of God toward his people. Nothing will hold back God's loyal love. Not enemy nations, God's, not even his own people who fail over and over again. Yet God remains faithful to his covenant promises because of his mighty, loyal love. And thus all nations should praise him and all nations should acknowledge him as Lord. The third reason is God's forever enduring faithfulness. The faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Right? This, this enduring forever, it's, it's, defi- it's defined by the nature of the one the word is connected to. Right? So the faithfulness or truth of, of the Lord endures forever because the Lord endures forever. In other words, as long as the Lord endures so his faithfulness to his people and to all nations and all peoples will endure. They will be blessed. They will know he is good and present and makes a way for relationship between a holy God and an unholy people. You see, people can only be faithful to their promises for so long, but not forever. But God can. And because of his faithfulness endures, all nations should praise him. And I think it's just, again, we want to highlight here just what this is saying about God uh, from these descriptions of, of God's love and faithfulness towards his people, right? They, they display perfect consistency between who he is and what he does. Perfect integrity, right? As Exodus 34 records God describing himself to Moses in verse 6, he says, the Lord says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so therefore, his love and faithfulness should move us to praise him. As he has been faithful to his promises to the generation before yours, he will be faithful to your generation and he'll be faithful to the next Now, these are some, just some really beautiful insights, just quite amazing insights. But there's a problem. And the problem is that there's a lack of praise, 
right? Right, the call has been made for the Gentiles to praise the Lord, but they weren't. Right? The desire, the desire for it and the reality of it did not match. I think uh, Psalm 14 kind of captures the, 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 uh, the heart of the Gentile and what Paul would later apply to the Jew as well. This is chapter, uh, Psalm 14, verse 1 to 4. It says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge? All have they no knowledge all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? And so we see from this passage, uh, Gentiles, right, or what's referenced here, the children of man, uh, is they're saying, is the fool saying there's no God, right? What it means here by no God is that, um, that they don't see themselves as accountable to this God. So they live as they please. They mock and they don't praise him. They have taken the good desire to know and worship God. And rather they don't call on him, but look elsewhere. Right? Like Romans 1, right? They, they take and they, they pray. They bring their thanksgiving, their praise, and they worship idols. They worship the created. And so they become corrupt, the text says. And as well, this leads to them attacking Israel and making life difficult for them. So not only that, but um, in, where it says in verse 3, um, the Apostle Paul actually applies that all uh, to both Jews and Gentiles in Romans 3.9. Why? Because not only were the nations corrupt running after false gods, but then Israel and Judah, instead of being a light to the world, ran after the nation's gods. And so how are the nations to praise God? How will this come about? When there's a lack of, God, when there's a lack of knowledge of God, pride, unbelief, um, idolatry that just so blinds them. Now, isn't it true for... For, isn't that just true for all people, though? Those who don't follow Jesus and, and also for those who do. That pride and unbelief and idolatry can take our eyes off of Jesus and we don't give him the praise due his name. You know, for unbelievers, it's a disposition. For believers, they are forgetting who they're in relationship with. But now if we, if we think about this problem, right, how will the nations come to praise the Lord? And at some point, God must act. And what we see as we read Scripture, as we see as the story continues, that he did. Praise the Lord that he did. Remember how I said that Psalm 117 was an Egyptian halu psalm? And that in the first century, it was likely read or sung at the Passover meal. So ponder this. This is something that is just kind of interesting to think about. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, 
He was having the Passover meal, remembering God's great redemptive act of delivering his people. Right? And then this is also the time of the, the first communion. So it's a very significant night already. But while he goes through the rhythms of the Passover meal with his disciples, they, they likely would have sang or read this psalm before he would eventually be betrayed and go to the cross. So, you know, think of how significant it is that Jesus is reading and singing this psalm. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Knowing that he would be the one who would die the death that we deserved and be raised to life on our behalf and become the means of salvation for all who repent and believe the good news of Jesus, whether Jew or Gentile, so that all the nations could praise the Lord. Just amazing. And so what we begin to see in light of what Christ has done, when we look back at Psalm 117, we realize that Psalm 117 actually points us to the gospel going forward. Right? Jesus is the solution to the problem for our sin and lack of praise of God among the nations. And through the coming of Jesus, we can now see that Psalm 17 is not only um, the desire of, a, of the psalmist or the aspirations of the psalmist, but it's almost like a prophecy of the gospel going forward into all the world. In Romans 15, the Apostle Paul quotes Psalm 117 in pointing out Christ's global mission. And I'm just going to read that for you. And if you want, you can, you can go there or you can look it up later. But it's, it's Psalm 15, verse 8 to 13. And this is what he says. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and I will sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And here's our verse. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, in Isaiah, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So in verse 8, we see Paul said that Christ came in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Right? Again, this displays God's faithfulness in Christ, which points back to God's promise to Abraham's descendants that he would bless the nations. Not only that, but Christ came in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. The very desire of Psalm 117, he came that the Jews and Gentiles in one voice, like a great choir, would welcome one another and praise God together for his great mercy extended to them in Christ. Which shows the worship of God is, is really the ultimate aim. And you know, if you're wondering about what God is doing and is up to in this world, this is it. This is it. 
And so then with that, how do we, how do we respond to Psalm 117? I think there's lots of ways you can respond to it. Um, some pretty clear ways to respond to it. But here's two takeaways, and I'm going to give you two takeaways and then one practical step. First takeaway is, or, or application, uh, is develop an eye for ways to praise Jesus, starting with God's word in prayer. Uh, Jordan Dudgeon just said so well last time, but, um, but I'll say it again, right? Praising the Lord requires us to take our eyes off ourselves, right? And that's often the challenge with praising the Lord or giving thanks to the Lord. And it, challenge, it requires us to get our eyes off ourselves and get our eyes on God, right? Praising Him for what He has done and what He is doing around us through Christ. Reading God's Word in prayer, right? Talking with God helps us to know what to look for. Uh-huh. And it helps us to be a people of praise. You see, praising God in Christ is not just something we do. Yes, it is something we do, but it's, it's a lot about who we are. Right? The New Testament is filled with calls for thanksgiving, thankfulness, and praise. Here's one. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 18. He says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. So Christians are a praising people. So developing eyes to praise comes when we are actually looking for ways to praise him. When you're looking, there won't be a shortage of ways to thank the Lord for his faithfulness and love. That leads us to our next takeaway. Psalm 117, I believe, gives us a God-centered vision for missions. Not only can Psalm 117 lead you to praise the Lord for yourself, um, but it should move us to see others praising the Lord. Right, this has been a quote that's been shared before in the past, but it's just still fitting, and I love the quote, so I'm going to share it again. And it's by John Piper. He says, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. And as we heard in the About Us time, right, we heard about what missions is all about, right? The glory of Jesus reflected in the praises of redeemed people. And so if, and so if worship isn't happening, we have a role in missions until that mission is completed. And so being on mission, again, is a part of who we are as Christians. It's part of the purpose of why we wake up in the morning. We are a redeemed, praising people on mission for God's glory and for the good of others so that they may find life in his name. And so it's not if we are engaged in some kind of missions work, but what kind of missions work has God placed you in or is leading you towards? So Christian, do you see yourself this way? Let Psalm 117 move us to live consistently with who we are and look to God who is faithful to draw the nations to himself in Christ. So what does that look like for you this week? Right? Who can you serve and who can you surprise this week in Jesus' name? And so to close, I'm just going to get really practical. I want to ask, what if, what if 
You let Psalm 117 guide you in prayer this week. Well, if you take just like a three by five card, write out Psalm 117, nice and short, won't take you long. Um, And then pray for both of these takeaways of having eyes for praising Jesus and gaining a God-centered vision for missions. Right? There's nothing special or magical about this card. It's just a card. But what it does is, is it helps us focus on what we pray about. It's meant to help us consistently ask God to renew our hearts for praising his name and seeing, and seeing the praise of his name among the nations, that great global choir. And so with that, let's pray for that. Let's talk to the Lord about that now. Lord, we thank you for this chapter. We thank you for these verses. We thank you for this call, this reminder, this challenge, Lord, to praise you. Lord, we pray that as we go about our week, there's many things gripping at our hearts, many temptations, many trials that can to lead us to why would we praise him? But Lord, help us have eyes Help us have eyes to see. Help us remember your word. Help us remember your great steadfast love in Christ, your forever enduring faithfulness that you've shown in Christ. And we pray that you would help us to be a praising people as on mission, knowing that we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. So thank you for this opportunity, Lord. And may your name be known among the nations. Shape our hearts in that direction, we pray. Amen.